0: This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America. On this edition of the program, two devastating earthquakes struck Turkey on February 6, killing tens of thousands and leaving millions homeless. The human and economic costs are bad enough, but what about the political costs for Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who is fighting to remain in power after almost two 20 years. Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. After heavy criticism for mismanaging the aftermath of the massive earthquakes which battered the country's southeast, President Erdogan is facing a possible political earthquake in the run-up to the May 14 general elections. Considered by analysts to be the most powerful leader since Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, who founded the modern Turkish Republic about 100 years ago, Erdogan is facing the biggest test of his 20-year rule, which became increasingly authoritarian. The economic and humanitarian fallout from the February 6 earthquakes will likely be the major factor for voters in the May 14th polls. In addition, Turkey's normally divided opposition has found consensus on a single candidate to challenge Erdogan. Kemal kilic leads the Republican People's Party, or CHP, and public opinion polls suggest that he and his running mates are the most likely contenders to beat Erdogan. The opposition alliance is running on a platform that would reverse many of Erdogan's signature policies. According to Reuters, they have pledged to dismantle the executive presidency in favor of the previous parliamentary system restore independence to the central bank, and return Syrian refugees, just to name a few. Turkey's Kurdish population also remains a key constituency. According to Gonul Tol, one of our panelists, the pro-Kurdish People's Democratic Party, or HDP, has somewhere between 8% and 13% of the vote. Thus, the emergence of a unified opposition appears to pose a serious threat to Erdogan, long seen as, quote, invincible by allies and adversaries alike. And then there is the issue of Turkey's key role in NATO and Ankara's initial objections to applications from Sweden and Finland. President Erdogan is close to Russian President Vladimir Putin, but also has been supportive of Ukraine, having sent some weapons to Kyiv and having brokered a deal for Ukrainian wheat exports. It remains to be seen how a potential successor would manage the world stage should Erdogan be defeated. Well, to take stock of Turkey's domestic and international political landscape in the run-up to the crucial elections, we turn to two distinguished regional experts Ambassador James Jeffrey is the chair of the Middle East Program at the Wilson Center and that's a think tank based here in Washington Ambassador Jeffrey served as the Secretary of State's Special Representative for Syria Engagement and the Special Envoy to the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS until November 8 2020 and Gonul Tol she is the founding director of the Middle East Institute's Turkey Program she is the author of the recently published book Erdogan's War A Strongman's Struggle at Home and in Syria, and both panelists join me via Microsoft Teams. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks Thank for having for me. Having us.
0: And Ambassador Jeffrey, let me begin with you. I stated in my intro what is going on, the earthquake, the potential political earthquake. How do you evaluate the political stage at this moment and Erdogan's predicament?
2: Nobody can tell how this election will come out. There are various scenarios because you have both a presidential election and a parliamentary election at the same time. It's possible that Erdogan running against the famously uninspiring leader of the opposition, Kılıçdaroğlu, Olu, uh, in the end will garner enough votes to stay on as president while people will punish him and his party for what many perceive as inadequate response to the earthquake as well as to recent management of the economy by voting overwhelmingly for the opposition parties in parliament. But nobody can say. Also, as you noted, the HDP, the party that many Kurds vote for, we don't know to what extent it will work with the primary group of coalition parties, the group of six parties, and to what degree it will support Kalic It looks like they will, but that's not sure, and they're an important player. So all bets are off in terms of who will win. Secondly, there is always the fear among some that if he loses, President Erdogan could seek some unconstitutional way to stay in power. I'm not predicting that, I'm just saying that people are concerned about that and that would create huge tensions inside Turkey. It would also create huge tensions between Turkey and its alliance partners in NATO. So that needs to be watched closely too.
0: Turning to you Gunul Tol Ambassador Jeffrey makes some excellent points. I'd like you to pick up on them. As he noted, the elections on May 14 will be both for the presidency and the parliament. Do you potentially see a split decision in terms of the electorate? What is the impact of the earthquake, the mismanagement thereof, and what about, of course, the Kurdish party? Let me get your take on all of this.
1: Sure, I share Mr. Ambassador's cautious approach, Carol. I think that's right. Erdogan, despite all the problems that he faces today, and that includes economic crisis, institutional breakdown, there is this nationalist backlash against four million Syrian refugees in the country. So, Erdogan faces many problems, but despite that he still has a strong following. But I think the post-earthquake political context and economic context is ripe for an opposition victory. So I believe compared to where they stood before the earthquake, the opposition has a better chance. Electoral prospects are significantly better in the upcoming elections. And that's due to several reasons. The Turkish economy was already in bad shape before the earthquake, but this earthquake has really compounded the country's economy economic and political problems. And Erdogan's slow and very uncoordinated response also exposed his one-man regime's vulnerabilities. And I was on the ground after the earthquake hit. I saw firsthand the frustration and the anger directed towards Erdogan's slow response. So I think if the opposition parties manage to secure the support of the pro Kurdish party, they have a significant chance of beating Erdogan in the first round in May.
0: Turning back to you, Ambassador Jeffrey, what are your thoughts regarding what Gonul Tol just said with regard to this post earthquake scenario. Could this be a so-called fault line, no pun intended, a challenge to Erdogan's strongman rule over these 20 years, should the Kurdish party back the opposition alliance?
2: A strongman, but also, however, a liberal democratic rule. I think that's important because it's an issue that we can discuss further. But certainly, I was on the ground, not for this earthquake, but for the last one near Istanbul in 1999. That spelled the end of the coalition that was governing the country then, and in some respects, the end of the parliamentary system and the rise of Erdogan, his AK party, and the presidential system. So it had a huge impact. It's very hard to measure because opinions are very strong on both sides on Erdogan and his performance on anything and perceptions, but Gunel was on the ground and others who I've heard as well say that the frustration with the government and some of its actions, particularly personnel decisions, not having sent in the army and other things are really hurting Erdogan. So I would say that he is under a great threat of losing, but we'll see.
0: And back to you, Tol. with regard to the chances of the opposition alliance, to what extent do you think the Kurdish vote could be very key? And do you see them joining with the opposition rather than fielding their own candidate?
1: Well, Carol, before the earthquake, the pro-Kurdish party, HDP, announced that they were going to field their own candidate. And that was a huge blow to the opposition bloc's prospects of winning the elections in the first round. Because remember, the HDP has a large constituency, as you mentioned in your initial remarks, somewhere from 8 to 13%. So in a race that's going to be very tight, whom HDP is going to support will be the key. So the Kurds will be the kingmakers. And after the earthquake, they said that they were not going to field their own candidate. And after the announcement of Kılıçdaroğlu's candidacy, pro-HDP, pro-Kurdish party's leaders hinted that they were open to talks with Kılıçdaroğlu and they hinted that they could support Kılıçdaroğlu's candidate. Now again, that's going to be a game changer and I think Erdogan understands that because in January, Turkey's top court had frozen the pro-Kurdish party's bank accounts holding treasury aid. And that decision just today was reversed. And this move came after HDP called for talks with the opposition bloc, which may pave the way for the party to support Kılıçdaroğlu. So I think Erdoğan is in a way testing the waters with this decision, which again means that it's very critical whom HDP is going to support.
0: You are listening to Encounter. On The Voice of America, my guests are Ambassador James Jeffrey, He's chair of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center. And Gonul Tol, she is the founding director of the Middle East Institute's Turkey program. And she's the author of the recent book, Erdogan's War, A Strongman's Struggle at Home and in Syria. We are previewing the political landscape in Turkey in the run-up to the May 14 general elections. And this is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on most of your favorite podcast apps, or you may download the show at voanews.com encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at Carol underscore Castiel or connect with us on Facebook at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Here's a big shout out to all of our listeners all over Turkey. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com, or you may like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. So back to our discussion about the political landscape in Turkey in the run-up to the general elections on May 14th. So back to you, Ambassador Jeffrey. What about the actual implementation of the elections in light of the devastation from the earthquake? How do you think this will play out? And what about turnout?
2: I'm sure the turnout will be high because Turks are, regardless of who they support, think this election is important and they'll either want to reward the government or punish it. Secondly, Turkey is a resilient country. It has tremendous resources. It will be able to pull off technically an election. I saw uh, Iraq pull off an election, the Purple Finger election, in January of 2005. And believe me, if the Iraqis can do it, there's no doubt that Turkey can. Now, one difficulty for President Erdogan, however, is the region where this earthquake occurred includes areas that was very strongly supportive of him in prior elections. He did not do well in the major cities. His past experience in the southeastern, largely Kurdish populated areas have been mixed. But in areas around Gaziantep and Adana, he has typically done well. We'll have to see what impact that has on the election results.
0: How do you see the actual ballot taking place? Do you see impediments? What are your thoughts with regard to turnout as well, particularly in the Southeast?
1: It's going to be a logistical challenge, Carol, because as Mr. Ambassador mentioned, 11 provinces were hit and several of them pretty badly, which means that millions of people have moved out of that region to neighboring cities. So more than a million people are homeless at the moment. According to official figures, 45,000 are dead, but I think it's going to be unfortunately more than 100,000. All these things pose a great logistical challenge to holding elections But the country's top electoral body today announced that they were working on mechanisms to make sure that those displaced people could vote. But obviously, the opposition has a huge and difficult task here too, because this chaotic environment, I think, provides an opportunity for those who might want to rig elections. And that's why I think the opposition has to do its best to make sure that doesn't happen and that requires a lot of work with civil society, Media groups and people on the ground to make sure that the electoral lists match the new reality on the ground. And in terms of turnout, yes, Turkey is a country where turnout has always been very high, and I don't think that's going to change in this election cycle. If anything, people are, especially the opposition voters, are very energized after the announcement of Kılıçdaroğlu's candidacy last week. So I talked to people on the ground after that. Announcement announcement. Everyone is excited. They are ready to mobilize their bases. So this is a make or break elections, right? So that's why I don't expect the turnout to drop.
0: It certainly is a make or break election, it appears that so much is at stake. So back to you, Ambassador Jeffrey, with regard to the issues that will be dominating in addition to the devastating earthquake, what is perceived as a mismanagement of it by Erdogan, what other major issues do you think are going to be motivating the voters and to what extent will they be interested in what is on offer by the opposition, such as strengthening or returning to the parliamentary system?
2: That's really a good question. Clearly, Aside from the earthquake, the mismanagement of the economy, particularly the high inflation generated in part by the government's perverse approach to interest rates and political control over the central bank is a big issue for many Turks. I think that is the biggest weakness, frankly, of the AK government under President Erdogan. Beyond that, there is some frustration, as you mentioned, about Syrian refugees. But while it would be very hard to get them to go back, that is an argument that might sell in the election as well. Beyond that, I would be a little bit careful. First of all, I have lived in Turkey during the parliamentary system. And other than briefly under Turgut Azal, it hasn't really worked going back 40 years before 2017. And I think Turks know that. I'm not necessarily sure that that is a winning approach, even for people who don't like President Erdogan as the president. They may not want a return to a very chaotic system of governance that we had for many uh, decades. The other thing is, there is a devil-you-know aspect. Turkey is in a very, very dangerous neighborhood with the Ukraine war to its north, the situation in Syria. Iraq, the alliance between Turkey's two major regional foes, Russia and Iran, the continued hold of the PKK and its offshoots in parts of Syria and Iraq, even the Islamic State. These are many, many problems that Erdogan has managed, not always the way we in Washington would like to see it, but he's more or less managed them in a relatively competent way. And there's no guarantee that Kılıçdaroğlu, who has zero international experience, really, would be able to master this extremely difficult realpolitik world that Erdogan has navigated in now for 20 years. That's a problem for Washington, much as there are things that President Erdogan does that irritate people in Washington. On many issues from Syria to the Ukraine to Iraq, there is a commonality to the Caucasus, to some degree to Libya. There is a commonality of interest and understanding of if we're not on the same wavelength, where the differences are and how, to bridge them. I'm not so sure that you're going to get this with this new coalition. I know both the most powerful party in this coalition, the Republican People's Party. It has very nationalist, we call them Kamalist elements that are not particularly pro-American, likewise with the Good or E -E party of Moral Akshaner. They have very nationalistic elements who are not pro-Western. I'm a little concerned about that. So we just have to see whether the foreign policy account will go to Erdogan's advantage or to that of Kalitdarolo, the jury is out on that.
0: Turning to Gonul Tol, Gonul, you have a lot to respond to. What other issues do you think will be at stake in the election besides, of course, the devastating earthquake and more or less a um, referendum on Erdogan's rule, increasingly authoritarian over the past 20 years? Do you think that people are very concerned that is voters about Darolo's perhaps lack of expertise on the international scene? What other factors will play into the election? election.
1: Well, I disagree with the ambassador on two points. The first one is he is right in that the 1990s were chaotic years in Turkey with unstable coalition governments, economic problems, terrorism problems. Erdogan came to power promising to fix all those problems. But his rule has not brought stability. There is a long list of problems facing the country today, from economic problems to loss of faith in institutions. There is a crisis of governance there's erosion in the rule of law. And I think the root cause of all those problems is one thing, and that is centralization of power in the hands of one man. Turkey is a large country. It's almost impossible with one man, especially a man who eroded, the capacitated institutions to govern effectively. And the opposition is promising to fix the root cause of problems, and it promises the return to a parliamentary system and not a parliamentary system of the 1990s, but a reformed parliamentary system. And I think that will really fix many problems of the country. And the second thing that I disagree with the ambassador is that, yes, Kılıçdaroğlu is an inexperienced leader, especially on the foreign policy front. But remember, Erdoğan has become a problem on the foreign policy front, particularly for the Western countries countries starting from 2011 and there is a reason for that 2011 is the year when he centralized power in his own hands so the problematic behavior of erdogan's foreign policy is a direct result of the country's authoritarian turn under his rule so i think that's why if the opposition wins the election you're gonna see a turkey that will play a more constructive role on the foreign policy front because an opposition government promises to put Turkey's democracy back on track, and I think we should all support that.
0: Turning back to you, Ambassador Jeffrey, to pick up on what Gonul Tol just said, and also looking at the international landscape, if there is a change in power and the opposition prevails. In terms of NATO, currently Erdogan is holding up, I think, still Sweden's accession to the alliance. How do you think the United States, I mean, the United States, of course, has to be neutral and is certainly not interfering. But what do you think the prospects would be, and to what extent do you think, as you said earlier, if Erdogan... One does lose that he will uh, try to lash out like we saw really in this country and also in brazil
2: first of all the main focus of this administration like a laser is on great power competition if there were a breakdown in democracy and you had some crisis that would have a huge impact on how Washington perceives Turkey and President Erdogan without any doubt. But short of that, Washington has weaned itself from caring really a whole lot about the nature and the quality of governance in countries that are important to us, for better or for worse. And as I said, at the end of the day, Turkey is a democracy, albeit an illiberal one. And Washington is willing to live with that. It will issue statements and such. And that gets to Erdogan. Now, this is a subjective perspective perception on my part, and Gunul may disagree, most people in Washington do. Where Erdogan irritates, and he's extraordinarily irritating in many of his statements and the way he dismissively speaks about Europe and the United States and plays to his base. But nonetheless, the things that he does, illiberal democracy, buying S-400s, threatening but not doing incursions into northeast Syria, picking fights with the Greeks, these are all secondary things, particularly as in many cases, he doesn't follow through. Whereas the things he does do, the critical role he's played in many ways in Ukraine, the way he is balancing Russia and Iran, I might add, talk to Israel, in the Caucasus, in northern Iraq, in Libya, and in Syria, where apart from our disagreement about the support for the SDF, which the Turks with reason say is a PKK offshoot, we have generally a commonality of views. Again, it is very difficult in the details dealing with this government as one who's gone through it. But at the end of the day, we know that Erdogan knows how to play the foreign policy card and that more often than not, he does the big things, the major muscle movements are compatible with what we need. We don't know this about the opposition and that is going to be something that Washington will think about. So I think that Washington not only officially but also unofficially will remain as neutral as it can be.
0: And Konolto, you get the last word. extent do you think that the opposition should they prevail? Ambassador Jeffrey said that there seems to be sort of a nationalistic bent. Could that be detrimental to the West's interests?
1: Let me say this. Turkey under Erdogan is not a democracy. It's a textbook case of a competitive authoritarian regime where elections are held, but they're not free and fair. So I think we have to get that straight. And the second thing is, Mr. Ambassador said that we do not know what opposition's foreign policy is going to look like. Actually, we do. They have said this, and they released a report too, on where they stand on the country's key foreign policy issues. They talked about rekindling Turkey's EU membership process, which is going to really help not just Turkey, but also in Turkey's relations with the European Union and the United States, and the US should back that. And second, Mr. Ambassador talked about this strong nationalist current, and he mentioned Good Party, which is a key member of the Opposition Alliance, and he said he was concerned about its anti-Western stand. I think he has nothing to worry about there because you will not get a government that is more anti-Western than Erdogan. That's true. There are nationalist elements in the opposition bloc. Certain things in Turkey's foreign policy posture might remain similar. But I think on other things that are key to U.S. national interests, you're going to see a dramatic change, both in the tone of a government under opposition and also in its policies. I have hosted delegations from opposition parties in the last year, and they've made it very clear that they see Erdogan's foreign policy very problematic. They back Turkey's NATO membership. They want to go back to this institutionalized version of foreign policymaking, where one man does not hold all the shots, which I think is going to really bring back the stability and predictability that we used to see in Turkey's foreign policy policy before Erdogan came to power. So all those things are very positive And I think that's why the US should be looking forward to a post Erdogan Turkey.
0: Well, on that note, I'm afraid that's all the time we have on this edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my terrific guests, Ambassador James Jeffrey. He's chair of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center here in Washington, and Gönül Toll. She's founding director of the Middle East Institute's Turkey program. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America.